Hi, welcome to the Aerospace Industries Association of Canada's podcast. It's hosted by me, Mike Mueller, Senior Vice President of AIAC. In each podcast, we'll be exploring topics of interest to our sector by interviewing leaders in both the Canadian and international aerospace industry and relevant thought leaders in order to provide timely perspective and context in the world of aerospace in Canada. AIC is committed to serving its members by being the bridge between industry and the government while bringing industry together, acting as its voice. Hope you enjoyed the pod. Okay, I, I think we'll get started if that's agreeable to everyone. So I'd like to introduce Jim Quick, our president and CEO from AIC, who's going to say a few words and then we'll get into the conversation. So Jim, over to you. Okay, thank you very much, Mike, and welcome everybody. And thank you to everyone for joining us today. Well, since the beginning of the COVID crisis, AIAC has been acting as an interface between industry and governments, and we've been very successful at bringing together industry and giving them the information they need to make critical decisions for their business. At AIAC, it's really been all hands on deck, pushing our message that government must step up now, as our competitor nations have, making aerospace a key part of our nation's economic recovery plans. The bottom line is that this industry provides well-paying jobs to nearly 215,000 Canadians, delivering sustainable economic growth in every region of the country. With 80% of our output export-related, we have a key role to play in in the recovery of the economy. We can and we should play a role in our nation's overall economic recovery, which brings us to yesterday's SFT, or Speech from the Throne. These are traditionally the government signals where the government signals their overall intentions and priorities in in terms of moving forward. While they are typical light on detail, they do set a tone and they do send messages. And many industries similar to ours are listening closely for an indication of what is to come. Not surprisingly, the government is focused on the immediate response to the pandemic, and we support that. However, there are certain industry-related mentions that we took note of, the biggest being that the government signaled its willingness for sector-specific supports for industries hard to hit. And I had a conversation with Minister Baines last week, and that was really our message to him, is there needs to be sector-specific responses to the economic recovery. Obviously, the aerospace sector is an industry that has been disappropriately affected by COVID-19. So this is something that we've been advocating for, and we're looking forward to the fall economic update that is forthcoming. I don't want to say too much more. You know, we have a great panel organized for today, and they're all veterans of, of you know, government relations and, and public affairs. So with that, Mike, I'll turn it back to you and our panel to get things started. Excellent. Well, thanks, Jim, and thanks, everyone, for joining us today. As Jim had mentioned throughout the pandemic, AIC has been at the forefront of providing what I call the need-to-know information to our members. And that's why I'm pleased to have three experts in their field to help us unpack yesterday's speech from the throne. The speech from the throne was a very high-level overview, as Jim said, of the government's response to the pandemic, and AIC is working hard on your behalf in the lead-up to this fall's COVID-19 economic response plan. So I want to introduce Gabriela Gonzalez, who is a consultant with Crestview Strategies, working in the Toronto office. Gabriela has worked at Queen's Park for years, is a longtime organizer with the Ontario Liberal Party and the Liberal Party of Canada. You can reach her at crestviewstrategy.ca. Jim Armour is a vice president at Summa Strategies. Jim has served as director of communications and marketing at the Canadian Medical Association and on Parliament Hill as communications director for two leaders of the official opposition, 
And you can reach Jim at sumastrategies.ca. We had a slight change as Brad Levine was not able to make it due to a family commitment. So I'd like to thank Jim Rutowski for stepping in. He's out in Victoria right now, so it's a little bit early for him. Jim is a senior associate with Council of Public Affairs and has served in a variety of senior political roles, including chief of staff to the BC opposition leader, now finance minister, and he was also principal secretary to Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. And you can reach Jim at councilpa.com. So I want to thank the three of you for coming on and sharing your insights today for our members. I have some questions and I'd like to start perhaps a little bit more general and then get into some of the specifics. So maybe to kick it off, I'll start with you, Gabriella. What overall messages did the government send about Canada's general economic recovery? Yes, the speech opened with four themes, but to me really had two major themes. One was addressing the very real public health crisis that Canada is facing from coast to coast to coast. And the second is as a speech of opportunity. I, I see a lot of opportunity for sectors. I mean, when the government talks about creating a million jobs, we know that the government cannot do that alone. So I see you know, sectors like aerospace being able to be partners to government and help create you know thousands of those jobs. Excellent. Helpful. Thanks. Jim Armour, maybe going to you, sort of that general overall theme, you know, the speech from the throne, what did you see? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I was a little bit surprised because I was expecting just given the lead up that there was going to be a lot of bold ideas and and new thinking. And what struck me was just how familiar it all was. You know, someone said it was sort of a greatest hits of liberal promises. And that's sort of what it read to me, that there was an awful lot of promises. And, and like you said, Speeches from the throne are fairly general. You don't get much specifics. So maybe with the fall update, we might get a lot more. But, you know, a lot of promises, a lot of money, and a lot of things in there. And what I was struck by were the things that that weren't mentioned, you know, like aerospace specifically. But we've got plenty of time to get into what was missing. Excellent. Thanks. And Jim Rudowski, your overall themes, impressions of the speech from the throne? Jim here from Victoria, where it's raining hard and it's a little early in the morning. I'll just echo what others said. Look, at I, as someone who has written a couple of throne speeches in my life, I mean, these speeches stir the imagination of the speechwriter, but they generally fall short of expectations. And this one, like all throne speeches, you know, had high aspirations, few details. And I think that's to be expected. But uh, to Gabriella's point, I think, yes, uh, the speech insofar as it looks to COVID and beyond COVID, uh, did hint that the government is, or more than hint, that the government is interested in sector-specific strategies. And I think that is all to the good, particularly for aerospace, which is a prestige industry that you know positions Canada on the global stage, has huge outsized impact on the economy, good jobs, everything that a government's looking for. But I think if you step back and look at a throne speech at this moment in history, I think that governments are reaching toward, you know, looking to history right now and seeing this as a pivot point. Provincially, I know governments are seeing this as a pivot point provincially and nationally as a pivot point in Canadian history and for the Canadian economy. And I think the government is aspiring to crystallize that, to build political momentum and political capital to what they hope will be a fairly ambitious agenda. But Obviously, you know, if the devil is in the details and throne, you know, is in the details, uh, throne speeches are holy documents and there's going to be a few details, you know, we'll really know later what all of this means. So maybe, Jim, let's just unpack that a little bit further. We understand the speech from the throne is a very high level. We were pretty encouraged based on some of the discussions Jim had mentioned with Minister Baines and, and things like this. So we were really looking into the speech from the throne for some signals or clues on what the government is planning to do with respect to sectors such as ours that have been hit 
fairly hard. And there was a little bit of insight into there. So maybe, Gabrielle, if you could unpack that a little bit more for our members. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was explicit mention in the in the speech from the throne about sectoral supports for some of the, the industries that have been disproportionately impacted. Talked about tourism, travel, and and so you know we can deduce that so aerospace is, is part of that big sort of umbrella of industry that are quite impacted. So it's a notch to our industry, and I think you know it underscores why an industry association like AIAC is so important at these times. We know that the speech was going to set sort of the the, the tone for the coming months and in preparation for the economic response plan that Minister Freeland will be delivering most likely November, possibly into December. And so, you know, the industry association will be working as you have been throughout all, you know, years closely with Minister Baines to make sure that there is that kind of support as we move into sort of from the emergency into sort of recovery and help them create those thousands of jobs across the country. I do see, you know, they, they I, I want to mention as well, the, the investment in, in training. I think that will be a major piece, you know, as, as companies, as members look to their existing workforce, can they uh, sort of leverage some of that government funding to train, to upskill your, your workers, make sure they have you know, relevant skills that will make sure their jobs will are here to stay for a long time? Yeah, we saw that sector, you know, the impacted sectors were acknowledged. We saw there was some reference to airlines. And one of our challenges, one of the things that we keep pushing towards the government is that you know, yes, we need to get the airlines back up and running, but there's a whole supply chain behind that. If you're not flying, you're not manufacturing planes, you're not repairing planes. And there's a whole host, as Jim Quick had mentioned, 215,000 jobs that depend on that whole ecosystem. But maybe, Jim Armour, a bit of your thoughts on that sector-specific approach and sort of the nuances there. Yeah, I, you know, I think that was a glimmer of of hope, but, you know, it also told me that you know, you still have a lot of work ahead of you. And we've been doing terrific work in putting the industry front and center, you know, getting the message out, whether it's with government or op-eds and social media, there's no way that people aren't aren't hearing it. But, you know, when you've got a, when you've got a 7,000 word speech <laughs> from the throne that, you know, clocked in close to an, an hour, what I notice is the things that weren't mentioned specifically, right? Like defense, aerospace, security, those kind of things were, were lacking a little bit. Not to say that we, you know, we won't see them later on come the fall, but just given the number of jobs that, that you create and you, you're responsible for, you know, the large, incredibly large footprint you've got in Montreal and other regions across the country, you know, the fact that only, only tourism and, and travel were mentioned and, and other not really service sector, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to hear restaurants in there and other, you know, hospitality was was mentioned. You know, that was, it was a glimmer of hope, but it was still a concern for me that said that there was more work to be done in getting that across to this government. Thanks for that, Jim. Maybe, Jim, you're trying to jump in there. Well, uh, yeah, I just want to Jim echo that. I think throne speeches are the beginning or the middle of a conversation, not the end of a conversation. I think we should see them as a call to action. I don't think, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Jim. I think that, you know, the, the, what throne speeches don't say can be as instructive as what they do say. But, you know, we should, we should be a little careful about trying to read too much into that, I think. That, you know, and the fact that they send some big signals about what the overall agenda is, what their mind frame is, so how they're approaching this, you know. I mean, this is one of the biggest moments uh, for any government to approach with the with economy that is in the shape that it's in. And so if they want to be ambitious about this, Gabriella mentioned the training. I think that's a huge uh, marker they put down about the investment they're going to make in training. 
But it really is a call to action, and it's a signal to the aerospace industry and to others to double down and up the pressure on government to fill in the blanks that, that were left there by the throne speech. Huge blanks. There's so much of this story to fill in. It's going to be up to aerospace. It's going to be up to us to help them, you know, help them finish this document and finish and, and write the final chapters of this story. Yeah, my, my analysis of it was that, you know, it's very much focused on the pandemic. It's very much focused on the response, the immediate response. And then I think, as everyone uh, has indicated, it's a little bit light on the details of, of what's next. But one of the things, you know, very specific in the speech from the throne was the fall COVID-19 economic response plan. And that's really what we've had our eyes on that ball. So maybe, Gabrielle, again, how, you know, how important is that economic update and sort of paint a bit of a picture for us between what's happening now with the speech from the throne and then what's going to be coming with that COVID-19 economic response plan? Yeah, I mean, Jim talked about an action plan. And I think this kind of a response plan that Minister Freeland will be presented, this is sort of the middle of the road. We know there will be a budget, a full budget in the spring, and that will be an election budget. We know the speech from the throne sort of said that the tone will have sort of a midterm if you were in school in November, December, and then the final exam will be in the spring. And that's when, you know, we, we can expect to see even more promises, you know, nation building promises in that spring budget. But for this fall, you know, we can expect details. We know there will be new mandate letters coming out, unclear whether it will be sort of full cabinet, all new mandate letters or just specific mandate letters to the most relevant departments and, and ministers. But that will have a ton of those details we've seen in mandate letters in the past that they, you know, line by line, specifically what ministers are tasked to complete. And obviously, they, you know, they, they don't have four years to complete those tasks. They'll have a few months, six months, eight, eight months, a year. So, you know, expect things that will, will be achievable and things that they can speak to their campaigning uh, next year. And so it's very much an opportunity to work closely with Minister Baines to leverage the work that the AIC has done with your parliamentary caucus and say, you know, you know, conservatives are not going to support the speech from the throne, but we'll use support incentives to support our sector and, and, and make sure that we have a thriving sector for years to come. Yeah, no, that, that's been pretty key. And we've been leaning on our aerospace caucus quite importantly, and they've been great advocates for us across all different parties. Jim Armour, maybe some thoughts on that economic recovery. You know, how do we use the caucus to try and make sure that our voice is heard there? Yeah, well, you know, and, and I, I do I agree with Gabriella, even though her name isn't Jim, which it probably should be since we're all named Jim, um, <laughs> you know, that it really is kind of where the rubber hits the road and where you find out these details, right, and the, and the numbers and some of what's behind a lot of the promises. So, you know, I think there's just a, a huge case to be made by the aerospace industry, not only just in, in terms of the of the numbers, the contribution to the economy, the contribution to, you know, global exports, employment. But there's also, you know, a pretty straightforward political message to be made as well, just given where your industries are located, you know, especially in the greater Montreal area and, and other places, all areas where, you know, with the Liberals, it's all about getting those extra seats to get a majority and not losing any in the process, right? And, and ticking off important industries like aerospace. So, you know, I, I think certainly there's a lot to be lots of pressure that you can, you know, apply with the with the politicians. The other, you know, general bit of good news is that for the first time in a long time, people are talking less about globalization and the importance about Canadian manufacturing, right? And the importance of Canadian innovation and keeping some of these things at home rather than, you know, relying on, on China and other places for products. So I think that's a narrative definitely to weave in. You're already an international success story 
you know, with long roots in, in Canada. So, you know, I think that's kind of tailor-made for the next push as well. Well, it's also, we are that success story, but we need the partnership of the government in order to maintain that. You know, Jimmy had mentioned that globalization piece and, and our industry is is one that is global in nature and it can it can go in a heartbeat if we don't have that support and that overarching strategy from government. Mike, before you just hand it over to Jim, I mean, I think the other thing to, to perhaps flag is, you know, when I was thinking about aerospace, I thought, you know, it's just too big, too big to fail, right? Or too big to be allowed to fail. And someone suggested to me, and this is maybe something you might have to deal with, that it's too big to help. And I, I think that's maybe a perception that you also have to have to overcome that that aerospace is just so so massive and so global that it's a difficult industry to help. Good, good, good insights. One of the other aspects, maybe Jim Rutowski, you can speak to this being in BC. You know, we had mentioned we have the clusters in Montreal. We also are in Toronto. We are in Winnipeg and BC. Those are all key political battlegrounds for any party who's hoping to win a majority in the next election. Maybe Jim Rutowski, how does how does that play into the machinations going on with respect to this economic recovery plan? Maybe what we can expect to see in the future. That's a good question. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the battle, battleground parts of the country are going to be important to knitting together a majority government that are going to act on these things. But I just want to step back and take a look at this just to answer your question. I mean, I think that. The throne speech draws a line under a basic contrast, a basic choice that the Liberal government wants to set up for the next election between austerity and investment. And I think that you know the throne speech telegraphs a vision of what the country is about that underlines that choice. And now aerospace, it seems to me, to Jim Armour's point, can, you know, as big as it is and important as it is, can, that can cut both ways for aerospace. And that aerospace needs to position itself in that choice. It doesn't want to get squeezed or become a partisan football in that choice. It needs to position itself as, I think, as transcending that choice in some ways. It is a prestige industry that employs hundreds of thousands of people, provides middle-class jobs, and is frankly central to the Canadian identity. And so that when we're talking about a future Canada post-COVID, that the aerospace industry has is symbolic in a way that it can earn the support of across the political spectrum. And I think your you know your work doing that through your aerospace caucus. I know Alexander Boularis, for example, in the NDP is a huge champion of that. So I think the aerospace industry it, you know needs to position itself in that way. And I think to Jim Armour's point about globalization and the effect that that's having on our politics, that aerospace is precisely, should see itself and communicates itself as precisely the kind of industry that national governments and cross the need, need to support as an, as an effort to build a national Canadian economy that everyone can participate in. And if they do that, I think that the internal machinations across the country will play themselves, you know, will, will take care of themselves. Excellent. Thanks, Jim. Just, uh, Gabrielle, I really liked your analogy of, you know, the midterm final exams, things like this. One of the other big themes coming through the speech from the throne was on the environmental side. In aerospace, we have a great story to tell on that front. I'd be interested to hear of the three of you, the different machinations going into what's going to be coming forward from the government with respect to sustainability, green aviation, and we have world leaders here and a lot of interesting projects going on within the country. 
how do we leverage that focus of the government moving forward on some of these things? And maybe you could help us give some insight and some positioning on that particular piece. Maybe I'll just, we're, we're working in a good order here. So we'll, we'll keep with that, Gabrielle. Thanks. That's good. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, when the government decided to prorogue parliament, we really expected to, for the Speech of the Throne to have a heavy emphasis on green and this sort of clean recovery. But as the numbers of COVID cases started increasing across the country, obviously that narrative had to shift. So I, so I found that really interesting. And it just shows a government that is willing to be nimble, despite some of the opposition criticism, but nimble and adapt to the current circumstances. But we know that that that, it, that remains a priority for the prime minister personally and will be part of his legacy to make sure that we're investing in, in a green economy and leveraging all, in our strength, manufacturing strengths across sectors to make sure that they're able to, uh, every sector is doing their part to help Canada meet its aggressive targets. And so I see green as an opportunity for the aerospace industry to open doors, right? You know, ACCC, Environment and Climate Change Canada may not be a natural stakeholder for you, but I think it's a great opportunity to be talking to them about all the work that you're doing, to be talking to Infrastructure Minister McKenna, who we know is very passionate about a green recovery and green investment and say, look, the aerospace is doing all of these great things. How can we work together and make sure that your economic response in, in the fall and then your, your spring budget actually incorporates some of the great work that our industry is doing? And you're industry leaders and you should be unknown for that beyond the sector. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll just put a plug for members on the line. Make sure you get involved in our Technology Innovation Committee as our chair, and they're just doing some just phenomenal work on that cutting-edge technology piece. But maybe, Jim Armour, any any thoughts on that framing within the uh, speech from the throne? You know, I'm try, trying to avoid this stereotype of the Conservative being kind of the Debbie Downer all the time, right? But, <laughs> so I, I just sort of see, you know, I, I, I do see opportunity, but I also see just a lot of challenge because, you know, when the when the government talks about green and green technologies and new technologies, they're not talking about, about aerospace, right? And, you know, that's the challenge that the industry is viewed as kind of a, a high admitter. And so the fact of the matter is the technology advances that you're making actually, you know, do have real effect, you know, make for far efficient, far more efficient engines, far more efficient air travel, you know, you, you name it. But it's not quite as uh, interesting and exciting as, you know, planting a billion trees, which is maybe where the million jobs are going to come from because we need about a million people to plant the billion trees. So maybe that, that's where all that's going to come from. But, you know, it's just not as as shiny as a electric vehicle charging network across the across the country right so that's the that's the challenge to say to the government look you're looking to meet your paris targets we can actually do this in a real tangible practical way that will see results quickly rather than you know 5 10 10 years down the road i say that bit of pessimism optimistically because i think you're up for the challenge Oh, absolutely. Jim Bertowski, you, you're out in BC. We had the first, the world's first electric, commercial electric flight there just at the end of, at the end of last year. Any, any thoughts? I know. Well, Jim pointed to the challenges and, and Gabriella pointed to the opportunity. I think that uh, both of them are right. I, you know, having worked in Alberta where, you know, we, where climate change and the oil industry were big issues, but, and trying to square that, you know, but taught me that and how difficult it can be to position industries uh, as part of the green economy. But this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the emissions, this is where we're actually going to make progress. And so it is critical, as Gabriella said, to take advantage of the opportunity and to position ourselves in this conversation 
Because if we don't, we're going to, you're going to be marginalized. But understanding the challenges that Jim points to, it is sexier or it is more attractive to plant a billion trees and have electric cars. But I think out, you know, I think the political climate is shifting on this. I mean, just last week in Victoria and in Vancouver, we couldn't breathe because of the smoke outside of our window. I mean, people, I think the climate change conversation is going to be coming back in a huge way if it already isn't. And aerospace needs to understand that. Industries need to understand that. They need to move very, very quickly. And as you are and as you're doing to position yourself as leaders in this regard, or else the conversation is going to pass us pass you by. No, and I think it's important to note that in a minority government, you need the support of different parties to get this stuff through. So the yeah, NDP, cool. which is the green side of things, the Green Party, and then to a certain extent, the Bloc Quebecois. Maybe just the last question here, and if there's any questions from those folks calling in, please feel free to email me. But if we don't have anything, I know we had about a half an hour here, so then we'll wrap up. So just a quick question to you all. We are in that minority parliament. We have the speech from the throne. We have the, and again, the economic recovery plan, the midterms, and then the finals coming up next year with a with a full budget. Election predictions, where are we at? What's going to happen? Give us the roadmap for the next 10 months or so. Gabriella. <laughs> I'll say yes on election, but not this year. Most like an election sort of between February and June of next year. We know the Conservatives are not going to support the speech from the throne. We heard that from Erin uh, O'Toole last night, who I have to say looked pretty good for having the virus, thank goodness. And But, you know, the blog had some ridiculous demands and want the prime minister to change his mind within a week, which I think it's just not realistic. But the NDP looks like they, you know, they're willing to support the budget and, or, or the speech from the throne and, you know, the mini budget coming next month. Definitely an election for next year. And, you know, we also want to see how the BC election plays out. We want to see will voters be okay with John Horgan calling out an early election or will they, you know, vote him out? So I think that the Fed will be looking to to the outcome of that election, also looking to the by-elections in Toronto, obviously high-profile writing in Toronto Centre as well as in York Centre to determine what kind of ground game they're able to have from spring 2021. Excellent. Thanks. Jim Arbor, we have a new Conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, who has experience in the Air Force. And he was actually one of the folks that came out to our election town hall last election in Toronto. Any thoughts on the conservative side? Yeah, well, and and also uh, sent out a solidarity message on Labor Day, too. So that tells you that he might be a little bit different than the last couple of conservative leaders in, in some ways. So, you know, I'm hopeless at these sort of predictions. But if I, you know, if I had to make one, you know, I think the, the liberals do want an, an election probably sooner rather than, than later. The challenge is to getting someone to work with them to make that happen. And just given the current position of any of the parties with the possible exception of the bloc who who think they could make gains, you know, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I do agree with Gabriella that it's likely 2021, though my money would actually be on the fall of 2021 instead of the instead of the spring, largely just I think because of just how long unfortunately we're going to be in in this pandemic. So you know, I, and again, you know, Jim has a better line of sight on what's going to happen in BC. He's probably bet the mortgage money on the outcome already. <laughs> but, you know, it, it worked out. It worked out for the incumbent in, in New Brunswick. We'll see what happens in, in BC. A little bit of rougher ride because BC is always yeah. different than almost any part of the universe, let alone the country. So we'll see how that kind of kind of plays out. But if you're recording this, I'd say fall of 2021. Well, we'll hold you to it. <laughs> Jim, out in BC, you know, the NDP hold the balance of power, it seems like. You know, the Conservatives yeah. are on one yeah. end, Blocker on another end. We have Mr. Singh sort of weighing his options. 
So some thoughts on that. And then maybe a bit of a bonus to all our folks out in BC, all our members out in British Columbia that woke up early with you to uh, to call in. Maybe just a little bit of analysis on what's going to happen provincially there. Sure. And then maybe sure. we'll just end it. I think I, you know, I think Jagmeet Singh did a good job. He's trying to, I don't think the NDP wants an election. I don't think there will be an election this year, even though they have the balance of power. If the Bloc and the Conservatives don't vote for the throne speech, clearly the NDP doesn't want an election, but they want to use to get, to get attention, which is always a challenge when you are when you're in the position the NDP's in. And I think they're doing a fairly good job of that. And I think, you know, that Shagmeet will use this for whatever leverage he can right now to extend the ambition of the throne speech. But it's anybody's guess. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't presume to know spring or fall next year. I would think maybe earlier. But to Gabrielle's point, people will be watching what is going on in BC. We are day, what is it? It's called on Monday. We're called on Monday. So I guess we're day four, third full day of the campaign today. It's way too early to tell what the effect of the pandemic election call will be. I think the reaction that we've seen in the media was probably baked into the NDP's calculation about going. Clearly, they were, you know, in very, very strong position going into this election. And but the parties right now are just it's early days and they're shadow boxing. It will be interesting next week when the first wave, I think, of polling starts to come out to see if at all that it's gotten closer and what's that attributed to because the dominant issue in the first few days is the election call and it will be interesting to see if if that has an effect on the polls and it'll be interesting to see when and how the NDP and the other parties pivot off this sort of minor controversy and onto the choices in the campaign i think though that you know it's far too early to tell but in BC, we can count on one thing, and that's to not count on anything. Conventional wisdom at the beginning of a campaign usually doesn't last very long into a campaign, and I expect it'll be closer than a lot of people think. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, Jim, and I want to thank all the panelists for coming on and sharing some of their insights. Maybe just recap what I heard. We have the speech from the throne, which is very high level, the broad brush strokes of where the government wants to go. I really like that midterm analogy in the economic recovery plan coming up next. And that's where we'll start to get some meat on the bones with respect to that sector-specific approach and the different aspects of the economy that have been hard hit and the recognition that the travel airline aerospace industry is is there. So, and again, with the caveat of we got to see what happens with COVID-19 and the pandemic and the second wave. So, I want to thank you all. I want to thank our AIC members for continuing to be engaged, supporting us. It allows us to have those conversations with government. As Jim had said, we had a call with Minister Baines right before the cabinet retreat, and we're going all out on the advocacy front. So again, I want to thank everyone. I want to thank the members for calling in and stay tuned. We're going to have some interesting webinars coming up next specific to some of the thoughts, the thought leaders out there on the airline industry and what's going on. So. Stay tuned and thank you again, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. That's a wrap for this episode. And thanks for listening. Please check out AIC.ca for more information or if you would like to join AIC to be part of the conversation. 